0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 110 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of Equestrian Collections and Kentucky Performance Products. I'm Chris Stafford, and my co-host on the show this week is Brett Parbury, joining me from Australia before he uh, leaves the Southern Hemisphere for a while. Brett, how have you been?
0: I've been well, Chris. I'm um, just in the throes of packing my stuff now to head over to Europe and compete Lord of Loxley, so a little bit crazy at the moment, but oh, it's been very. Well. we've been going very well up until now.
1: Good. Well, let's talk about what you're doing, because later on I want to talk about what you're going to be doing when you get to uh, Europe we'll, we'll we'll come to that a little bit later on but uh, it's been a few weeks since you were on the show and it was just before the Sydney CDI I think you were you were last here Brett so how did that go and I think Penny had a good place how did you go?
0: Yeah it was good I, um, I had a good uh, Grand Prix I, I did a personal best in the Grand Prix uh, 71 something I can't remember the, the final percentage but Um, set a new Australian record so I was very happy with that and then um, Rachel Santa picked me in the special Uh, I just had a few too many mistakes I had a problem with my one tempi for the whole weekend which um, sort of has has gone as quick as it came um, which cost me marks in the special and um, Rachel beat me in that and then in the freestyle that night um, Rachel also beat me in that too so we've we've got a great competition here going between Rachel Santa and myself which is it's great for the domestic front as far as Australian dressage goes it's, um, it's good that the, the best two competitors for Australia at this moment are based in Australia so Rachel and I push each other along and, and hopefully we can keep doing that up until next year uh, until we have to get serious going towards London
1: Well it's got to be good for both of you isn't it to have that kind of uh, competition going on to just keep pushing each other as you say keep raising the, the bar there
0: yeah that's right. I mean we we all know that competition makes people stronger and it's great that we can have something like that here. I mean that's why the Europeans are so strong it's just competition makes them keep lifting the bar so um, for Rachel and I to do it at home is great for our sport here and it's great great for a lot of reasons. it's great for the federation to market. To market the, du- the, the the challenge between us and and um, it 's great for us because we 're good friends and we don 't mind i mean we, we understand the sport enough to know that it 's not us we are competing against it it's ourselves really like it 's not each other so um, yeah we we 're very very happy with the way it is
1: you know that 's a nice point there that you raised that it isn 't about a competition between two riders, although those scores are competing it is about your own personal you know journey with that individual horse isn't it
0: yeah that's right yeah yeah and i mean to know that rachel's going to be doing tests over 70 it just makes me sharper on my preparations it doesn't make me um you know it's not a one-on-one competition it just makes me better prepare better and brings out the best in my my myself and my horse so that's that's what we want and that's going towards london that's what we want to do we've got a very strong plan as a, as an Australian team that we 'd like to have you know, two and perhaps even three people that can go over seventy percent in london and that would be that would be a great result for us
1: all the while we 're watching the the rise and rise of Australian dressage, which is very exciting you know to watch i 'm sure from from an Australian standpoint but also from outside of australia watching that standard being elevated constantly and that sharp competition the exposure to european competition as well in your preparation and we're going to be talking to uh, Chantal wigan a little bit later on because uh, of course you know her so well and she's been uh, having such great success down there in recent weeks she's been on a on a roll actually um, now what else yeah. has, what else has happened brett then since sydney what else have you been doing
0: um. Gee, I don't know. To be honest, I, it's like a blur for me. I um, <laughs> I live life pretty quickly on, uh, at the moment. It's trying to trying to run a few different angles to my business. Um, as far as I, I like coaching, and I do a lot of coaching, and I'm I've got an involvement with the Australian Eventing Program as the dressage advisor to the program. So mm-hmm. that keeps me very busy. We've just had the Melbourne three-day event, and. Um, and not only that, I do a lot of reviewing of tests of our uh, English-based riders. So I spend a fair bit of time on YouTube watching them ride and, and trying to keep close to what they're doing and so that if they need my help, I'll be available. Um, so, I mean, as far as competitions go, we, it's a little bit of a quiet time at the moment uh, for us. The competition season really builds up as at, virtually from September onwards, from se- the end of September onwards. Um, so to be honest I'm just consolidating a bit at the moment and giving my horses um, some really solid training and trying to move the younger horses through to the next level and, and trying to keep Victory Salute ticking over, I mean for him it's more about keeping fit and fresh and healthy than anything else and then trying to have him ready to go for the end of the year so it's, a, it's because we don't have CDIs eyes every, every second week or every third week here we really have to plan our um, competition year out quite well and make sure that we don't have the horses peaking at the wrong time and um, and that's something I've learnt through trial and error and um, because I'm not running around doing a lot of CDIs with him this year, there was one down in Melbourne last week and I'm just avoiding travel as much as I can. I mean, every time you put a horse on a truck or put a horse on a plane or put them on an uh, unfamiliar surface, you're you're risking the horse to some extent and um, for us it's to try and just reduce all risk to him until the end of the year and then and then try and take him to more shows and then try and work towards a good performance at the end of the year to try and get the, the ticket back for the World Cup final um, back in Europe next year and then the Australian selection process is going to be in Europe next year so We'll all be based back over there for the for the European summer season.
1: Well, I mentioned the interest in Australian dressage, and we should give a shout-out to everybody in Australia who follows this show, Brett, because it's our second largest audience
0: on the Dressage right? Radio
1: Show. <laughs> Absolutely, is in Australia.
0: Wow. Yeah, yeah I've, a lot of people have um, stopped me and said, oh, yeah, I love it on the show. And, and uh, yeah, so it's, it's great. I mean, we do have a wonderful support Base here, and, and there's a lot of enthusiasts, dressage enthusiasts out there, so that doesn't surprise me that it's the second biggest because um, we're a very horse uh, oriented country, and um, dressage is one of our smallest sports and um, out of the whole equestrian scene here. But you know, the, the people who are into it are very, very, very keen, and yeah, great to hear that they're behind us. And you can certainly feel it that they're behind us whenever you go to a big event, there the crowds full of Australians
1: cheering you on no doubt well that's terrific well we're going to hear a little bit more about what uh, what's happening down under and also what you're going to be doing next uh, coming up here on the show shortly and uh, our first guest is going to be Chantal Wigan our guest this week that is uh, right after this uh, reminder about kentucky performance products one of our generous sponsors here on the show because it's that time of year when your horse will be sweating more and needs some help in replenishing fluids kpp offers a solution with summer games electrolyte it's originally created for horses competing at the olympic games this formulation is a combination of minerals similar to the levels typically lost in sweat summer games is a concentrated electrolyte that contains minimal sugar and supports normal hydration Plus, it's palatable and easy to feed. So help your horse beat the heat with Summer Games Electrolyte. And you can find out more about this and all of the KPP products by visiting them online at kppusa.com or call 1-800-772-1988. And you can learn more about horse nutrition, too, and interact with the KPP experts by joining their Facebook fan page. And KPP is a participating retailer here of the Horse World Gives Back campaign. Well, I mentioned Brech, that Chantelle Williams uh, Wigan, I should say, has had a fantastic run of it. She got three consecutive wins out there recently, but she comes all the way from. Uh, up in uh, Queensland, that's a lot of travelling, as you said. It uh, it's a huge amount of travelling from where you are in New South Wales to go anywhere. But she has to come all the way down from Brisbane, and she did that recently to go to Melbourne. And now it's she's uh, again another competitor that you you know well over there.
0: Yeah, no, I know Chantelle well. She um she's a great competitor and um and has a great horse, and she's prepared to. She really wants to get in and travel and and do the CDIs here and and um. She's been based in Europe for the past, I'm actually not sure exactly, but I know that certainly the past three to five years, and and um, I think it's good for her to get out and, and do some of the Australian shows and let the Australian public get to, to get to meet her.
1: Well, we're giving you the opportunity to get to know Chantelle now, uh, so let's get her on the line. Chantelle, welcome, and thank you for joining us all the way from, well, near Brisbane, aren't you? You're in a pretty nice spot there in, in Cleveland. It, you're close to the... Coast, so uh, a lot of our listeners would envy you of your location.
2: Yes, we are extremely close to the coast, and um, being that close to the coast, we managed to avoid the uh, Brisbane flooding.
1: Yeah, because you had it pretty badly up there, didn't you? Um, when you, did did you and I mean all the the horsey area up there, did you manage to escape the the f- devastation?
2: Probably about sixty uh, percent of them were actually in the devastation unfortunately. Um, uh, because they were close to the uh, Brisbane River and surrounding uh, Lockyer Valley, which is quite a big horse area mm. It's further out from Brisbane. So we're, we're sort of close to the city and if you're close to the coast, well, flooding uh, yeah, doesn't affect... Um, so it was. Um, it did have a little effect on, on our riders, but not too
1: much. Now, you know your way around this area. This is an area you were born and raised, isn't it? So you haven't strayed too far from home.
2: Uh, no, haven't gone too far. Had a lot of trips overseas to um, Germany and um, and to Holland and England, but uh, always managed to come back here. It's a good place.
1: Well, as you say, we're going to talk about Europe and the time that you've spent over there, gathering a lot of very obviously helpful and experience on your in your career. And you've had a very good run at your career just recently, haven't you? What is it? Three uh, C D I wins on the trot.
2: Yes, I think that would be right.
1: Yes, that's sounding
2: correct. We've had um, quite a good uh, run with that. We're very confirmed in our Grand Prix work. Um, Rivaldi and I, his name's Rivaldi, but in the show we call him Ferrero. Um, but he was um, a Dutch horse. So uh, he was, um, I mean, he's just 13 years old now. So that's it's working out really good for us. We've been a partnership now for four years.
1: All right, all right. And where did you find him then? Was that on a European trip?
2: Uh, no, I was based over in, in Europe from 2006, was my second trip over there. Um, and I was there for two years. And he was found in Warendorf, actually. Um, and then we spent six more months in Germany. And then I went to Holland with uh, Imka.
1: Imke Shelikens Battles of course yeah, the academy battles there in, in the Netherlands it would, tell us about that how did you get to Europe in the first place what, where were you going to and where were you going to be based and to begin that European exposure
2: well I used to work in uh, Germany back in 2000 and, uh, sorry not 2000 95 to 97 um, in Germany under Rudolf Seilinger and uh, when I went back, of course, I, um, which was just under 10 years later, <laughs> um, went back there with the horse from Australia um, because my aim was um, for Hong Kong. Um, and uh, we spent six months working with the horse that I bought from Australia and, and he just wasn't going to make the grade. So we uh, decided that we were going to keep up with the campaign for Hong Kong and um, we went looking for another horse so that was how that started um, and then I sort of stayed there um, until probably I think about oh, it would have been July of 2007 and then I moved uh, first of all to London because I took a break and I have an eventing friend there um, and then after that I did some more research to where I'd like to go next and um, trainer-wise, and then we went to Bartles.
1: Now, has it always been dressage uh, that you've been focusing on, Chantal, or or have you had a dab at uh, eventing? Did I read somewhere that you did do some eventing?
2: Yes, yes. I think every Australian does eventing and a bit of show jumping and a bit of something else before they really find what they're uh, like. Um, It was in actually '94 that I sort of was over in England at that time um, doing some course related study courses and uh, the offer came up to go to a stable and learn dressage in Germany and I thought well I'm not too fussed on the English weather (laughs) Germany's weather sounds a bit better so I um, went over and um, had a look and a three day trip over there and I thought well you know it certainly looks better than where I was so I sort of made the switch probably then Um, it wasn't, it was probably beginning of uh, 2005, sorry, uh, 95 when I went there. And I stayed there and I was very happy until until 97 there. So uh, it was a good time in my life to learn, I think, and that's where the switch came. I, I decided that eventing, you have to have... I wasn't that brave, I don't think, for eventing. It was starting to hurt too much. I didn't have very good horses. And I thought there had to be something else. It was either going to be polo and that took too many horses, and then sort of dressage caught my eye. I thought, okay, dressage it is. So that's where it started.
1: All right. Well, you mentioned you were in Britain, of course, studying. That was for the British Horse Society exams, isn't it, that you, you got your intermediate instructor qualification yes. there? Of course, a lot of our listeners around the world will be familiar with that uh, system of qualification. So that stood you in good stead, did it, when you went back to Australia to have that qualification in your back pocket? Yes,
2: um it is a very unique qualification that has been around for so many years and it is a worldwide um, recognised course which is very important because I've done most of my horsing around outside of Australia. Um, so it's one that everyone knows and it's proven and it's um, an old qualification. I think a lot of people hold that qualification and do recognise it and still believe it is one of the best training systems there is to offer uh, in the horse industry in the world. So I was very lucky and um, fortunate to have those in my pocket because it certainly opened up some doors that wouldn't have been open otherwise.
1: Well, I can certainly second that, having come up through the BHS ranks myself. Now, what was this with the intention of establishing yourself as an instructor at that time, Chantal, as you were making the transition?
2: Um. Well, I we I family actually started off. We had a riding school and had done for several years. So it, the horse industry wasn't new to us. Um, it wasn't new to the family. And um, with any great mother, they tried to steer you away from it, knowing how hard it was. I think. And uh, so I had a few different directions previous to that, but I came back to the horses uh, in '94, and I said, no, that that's the direction I want to take. Um, and The first thing my mother said, well, you better pack your bags and go and get some qualifications because you're going to need them. So that's how I started off in England.
1: Now, do you come from a horsey background? Was there any interest in horses from the family?
2: Yes, there was, yes. We had a large Brisbane-based riding school that started in uh, '78 of 30 horses. So I'd come up through the wreck. So it wasn't that different to what I was previously doing in the horse exposure. And we had always had British staff that were employed there that had come out on various visas. And a lot of them um, ended up taking permanent residency through our business um, in Brisbane.
1: So you made that switch then to dressage and tell us about that transition and how you found the horses that you needed to get a footing in that sport.
2: Mm, That in itself is a very difficult one. Um, I had always ridden ex-racehorse thoroughbreds and um, when I went to Europe that became um, a very useful tool. It wasn't apparent to me at the beginning to how useful this was going to uh, play out but the horses they were breeding at that time they were infusing a lot of thoroughbreds into their breeding system and um, it was quite evident that they were having some uh, issues with that um, just due to the the uh, i suppose friability of those horses um, that the German training was not quite used to having in the in their lines um, so I became, I think, very useful over there um, as a rider um, to start these horses and to uh, probably a little bit of uh, calming to the horses that were coming in for training uh, because they had obviously gone a little astray um, with their temperaments, but that was quite a temperament I was used to, so that worked out relatively well for me. But it's hard going, um, Over there with with the training as well when you start off, um, you go there like anyone, cleaning boxes and and promise to ride two horses a day and you get less boxes and more horses until you're up to 12 horses and no boxes, which is everyone's ultimate dream, I think. So the experience um, of dressage uh, and the different levels of horses you you ride and some of them you stay on uh, permanently and others you swap. Um, is a great training facility uh, for any young
1: dressage rider,
2: I believe.
1: Um, well, so many uh, Australian Zealand riders do make their way to Europe for this invaluable experience in the dressage world, of course. Chantal, how did you make that transition to the German system, though? Was that a difficult one for you?
2: I think I was much more pliable at that age um, and made it relatively easily, um, I um, you I think it all really depends on your character and your personality uh, of the person um, to whether you'll make that transition easily or not um, if you've never had any formal um, training or tuition, I think it's a lot difficult more difficult for you but if you've had constant um, been in the environment of a training facility um, I think you can adapt. Relatively quickly. Obviously, the style is a lot different to the English um, style, but the principles are all the same.
1: Had you at any time sort of studied the old masters and decided that, you know, it was the German system that you would favour as opposed to any other European? system that was of course, before you moved to the Netherlands, uh, because I think a lot of people you know in the when you're just dis- discovering dressage you're studying dressage uh, leading towards a-, a particular style of training and that goes back to the old masters of course
2: no i didn't i didn't study um I had heard about them and had read the little bits and pieces, i suppose of them but I certainly didn't make a choice by studying the old masters and then finding a guru that is still uh following that method. Mm.
1: And so after Germany then it was time to turn around and go back to Australia was it or you spent a little bit of time in Netherlands first or did, or how did it uh, how did it evolve I, for you?
2: <clears throat> in 97 I actually came home to the family business. Um and I stayed home for 9 years. And uh, I, had a, I had restarted a riding school and training facilities and competition barn, so I, I sort of did that bit. And then I said, you know, I my goal is the Olympics, and that is my goal. And um, I wanted to pursue that. And uh, so I was fortunately enough that in 2006 that opportunity uh, arose again for another trip over there to um, follow my dream and and see what I could. Uh, could make. Um, being that uh, a little bit older as well it makes a difference in your outlook and, and perspective in things and um, that's when we decided in October we packed up with the horse on, on board as well and um, headed for Germany.
1: And and then to the Netherlands and you were obviously under the influence of Imke Schalukes Bartels as you said at the Academy Bartels in, in the Netherlands. How long did you spend there?
2: Um, I spent Oh, 2008 there, and I was fortunate then to continue that uh, stint with her up until um, Kentucky of 2010. Right. I did come home for a period um, of time in there, and I left the horse in training, Um And uh, she kept that horse going for me and also competed him So, and quite successfully competed him. So that's also um, nice that the horse that I had managed to uh, go to some competitions while I was still home for, I think I was nearly home for a year and a half, I'm sure it was, Um, and I left the horse with her.
1: So tell us about all the horses. You mentioned Ferraro, of course, you've been winning so much recently with down there in Australia. Tell us about the rest of the dressage horses you have at home.
2: I'm extremely fortunate. Ferraro is my only horse at the moment. So he gets 100% attention.
1: It's not spoiled, Chantal. It wouldn't be spoiled. No, not at all. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I, I actually don't know how I'd cope with another one. I don't know if I'd have enough time in the
1: day. Because <laughs> you, um, you have three manage. stepchildren, you said. That's right. So, so you're, you're a stepmum as, as well as uh, in obviously in training, and, and which involves a lot of travelling. It, it's quite a hike. I would say it's just down the road, is it, to go to uh, what was it, the Melbourne three-day event where you won recently. That's from Queensland to Melbourne. Isn't that over... Because I, I, I've driven it myself, it's over 1,200 miles, isn't it? Yes, it's um, 2,000 kilometres, um, yeah, which, is a, yeah, which that... is a road trip of three days Yeah, with horse. With horse it has to be, yeah. I've driven it the other way, from Adelaide all the way up the other way. That's, it, is, it is quite a, a trek. So your pony's probably used to it, this long-distance travel, though, being Australian.
2: He is. I think he's a pretty seasoned traveller. Uh, we had to make this trip. My other Melbourne trips have been quite long because I try to do a circuit of events so it, it makes it worthwhile you're down there for a longer period of time. This uh, Melbourne three-day, there was no other surrounding competitions for dressage. So we basically... Um, Gary, my my partner, dear husband, <laughs> comes travelling everywhere with me. He's my support network and groom. Um, and I have a very good friend in Victoria and the horse went down by transport and was met by um, Lisa and she took care of him and I arrived Thursday morning and uh, freezing cold of course coming from sunny Queensland even though we're in winter (laughs) it's about uh, 15 degrees difference in the temperature and uh, we started the campaign from Thursday really we competed on uh, Saturday and Sunday And then we had some uh, problems with uh, flights returning because we were to fly home um, because the children are in in, uh, exam block um, and uh, need us here. Uh, But we had the volcanic ash from Chile uh, that cancelled many flights. So unfortunately, we came uh, on a road trip back with the horse, um, which uh, became more exciting as the trip went on because we then had floodwaters rising on the um, border so it took an extra day oh, <laughs>
1: Gosh!
2: but we do have some interesting photographs going up on the blog
1: <laughs> i bet you trip. do yeah i bet you do there's one for the memory books absolutely and it is <laughs> such it. a long track but now well, tell us why you chose to do that i know it was a cdiw but it's a long way as you said to go for just one show it is.
2: Um, yes, my focus for this year, 2011, of course, is to um, win the uh, World Cup finals uh, in the South Pacific region, as I did last year. I elected not to go back to uh, Germany this year um, for the finals, only because I had just arrived home. And the trip is, is quite gruesome on all <laughs> horse and uh, humans arriving from Europe, um, so my I, my campaign
1: this year is focusing on the World Cup qualifiers. Of course, that's and in uh, Het in the Netherlands uh, next that's April. R- yeah, but you've got a few competitions along the way, haven't you, to qualify that you're going to focus on? As you said, the Australian National Championships and Equitana, isn't it? And uh, you've got your yes. your uh, a more obviously your World Cup final for the Pacific League down there as well. So you've got quite a busy uh season this i mean this year is going to be quite busy isn't it Uh, as you get through all your state championships
2: that's right it kicks off in october uh the nationals and uh, then equitana and then we will stay down uh in victoria um until december because the trip is pretty hellish coming back and um even though he's a good traveller, I don't like to go up and down 2,000 kilometres on a regular basis, so we will then stay down um, there until the actual finals, which is in December.
1: Right. And then what would be your plan, presuming you qualify for the finals in uh, the Netherlands next April, what would be your plans for next year? I'm guessing you've got London Olympics right in the middle of your radar,
2: that's exactly right. Heading straight on at twelve o'clock. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is where we <laughs> set our plan. And uh, so, if, if that all goes to according to my plan, which is always nice, uh, we will head back to Bartles and train under Inca from February.
1: All right. So busy, busy here now. Does husband? Uh, sorry, your partner, your partner and husband, both the same thing, right? Your your groom, your partner is all is is yes. all in one. He's the man Friday, isn't he? He is my man Friday. Yeah, or any he day is. of the week in your case, I'm sure. <laughs> That's true. Now, yeah. does he get to travel with you and have to leave the children behind?
2: Uh, his travel trips are usually shorter um, than mine are. Um, he stays with the the children most of the time and flies down for the events if, it's, if I'm doing these long stints away. Um, so he... he flies into wherever the wherever the shows are to be my groom and, and my mental preparation. My mental uh, preparation, um, he assists in that. Not a mentor because he doesn't come from a riding background um, or a horsey background. He's been quite spoilt, though, because he's only really got involved um, with my horsing around, so to speak, uh, when we went to Europe. So he's been fairly blessed in what he's seen, as <laughs> he says, what are these things <laughs> like don't worry we don't need to know
1: <laughs> Enjoying life at the top end of the sport now what what's his name we should give him a name gary gary
0: and, gary, you, yes. and your
1: children your stepchildren uh three of them jack rachel and charlie All right. and now any interest there in the horses are they following uh, your lead here uh,
2: many years ago, they picked it up for I'd say six months, and they decided that was all going to be too much uh, dedication and time, and they opted out pretty early on, which we can't say we're sad about. So <laughs> <laughs> no horses for them.
1: <laughs> so do you have any spare time to do anything else, or is is that your main focus? Do you do any teaching at all now? Because you, obviously you're a qualified instructor. Chandra. Yes.
2: Yes, I do teaching. Um, that keeps me on the go and uh, take a few horses in, um, maximum of two horses at a time for for training. Nice. So uh, I, I, you know, I'm not I'm not going to break myself riding other people's horses. And, and really, you only ride four horses a day. Well, and after that, you you know, I've done the, the twelve horses. <laughs> Yeah. I know what efforts applied after the four. Yes, <laughs> it's not yes. a lot. <laughs> They're ridden in order of priority usually, so yeah. uh, I like to make all of of my um, work a priority. Um, so I only have a maximum of four, but you know, three three horses is great to ride, and and then you're in for the long haul with that number.
1: Now, talking about the long haul, as you said, your boy's getting on there in years. How how much more mileage do you think you've got with him?
2: Oh, look, he's got an amazing amount of mileage, even at his age, still left. I think he's been always looked after well um, and not had to do a a lot of miles because he is naturally talented. And I think that is the difference between the the Grand Prix horses that are still going at, you know, 17 to 20. Um, If they've been gifted, they haven't had to do that many miles um so they do last it's unfortunately the ones that aren't that gifted that have had to (laughs) lap after lap to get it correct um that they're certainly the ones that wear down quicker
1: well he's had an obviously a fantastic run with one one went after the other three three in a row now so what what next for him presumably has a little bit of a break at home Uh, where do you go next
2: uh, we have that, we've got a good break now actually um, till October and then October is our first national so okay. we'll be down there for that in Sydney.
1: Yeah, so we really have a, a, a good break and that gives you a bit of a, a break too. Just, uh, do you get a vacation time? Is What does vacation mean to you and yeah, Gary? Uh, vocation,
2: yeah, uh, we're still looking for the meaning of vacation, actually. Okay.
1: <laughs> um. <laughs> like most riders.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, haven't seen that since 2006. So
1: all right, all right. <laughs>
2: It's a new word. We'll find it one day. He keeps promising me we will find it. No, I am very optimistic on that.
1: Well, you know, a lot of our listeners around the world will be saying, well, gosh, if I lived in that part of Queensland, my Brisbane there, with all that surf on your doorstep that's a, and that sand, that's a pretty good vacation location, isn't it?
2: It is a very good location, yes.
1: Well... Chantelle, I want to wish you the very best of luck with the rest of this season, your preparation and uh, your objectives there of making it to the London Olympic Games. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, nice to hear from her. We wish her all the very best of luck. And as we said, there's so much traveling involved with Australian shows now, wherever you're based. Give us a sense, Brett, of now where those shows are going to be happening, the big shows. You said it starts up again in September for you with Victory Salute.
0: Yeah, so... Uh, there's a state championship so New South Wales state championships would, which would be one of the bigger shows here which is, that's going to be up in uh, a town called Tamworth this year which is um, renowned for the western sports so it's a bit of a a bit of a, um, a, bit of a um, movement to try and take dressage into the western parts of Australia and um, they have a wonderful facility up there so that's where the state championships will be. Now, Victory League won't go to that. That'll, I'll take some younger horses to that one. Then we have our national championships in October, which is which is coincidentally the the regional qualifier for our Olympic um, team qualifications. Mm-hmm. So that's when the New Zealanders will come over to here. And what they've done, the FEI, is they've broken the qualifier up into two sections. So there'll be a qualifier in Holland, and that's where possibly some of the Japanese riders will ride, and maybe one or two of our combinations. I'm not sure. This is all just a little bit... uh hasn't been organised yet, but then, then the second leg of the qualifier will be out here at the national championships. So we have to make sure, both Rachel and I that, and whoever else is involved with the team, that we are at our best for that show because, I mean, we don't want to take anything for granted that we're going to be going to the Olympics, so we have to win that. That's in the end of October, and then we have November Equitana, which is um, going to be very big this year. This is probably the biggest Equitana yet. Um, the EA Federation, sorry, um, has come up with a concept of a grand final, and they're having a they're selling the, this grand final concept across all three Olympic disciplines um, to be at Equitana, which is should be great. You know, it'll be a, a whole new uh, thing to be involved with and um, you know there's good money up and, and good sponsorships and, and um, good exposure so we want to be on our game for that and then at the start of December there'll be this uh, World Cup uh, final for our region which the winner of that gets the ticket to go to the World Cup final in Den Bosch next year so that's three solid months of competing that we need to be ready for at the end of the year so but um, it's funny when you talk about distance. I mean, all of those, apart from the Tamworth show, but the rest of those shows um, are within sort of seven hours of our place. So Sydney's from for me, is an hour and a half, which is not too far. And then uh, Melbourne's only a bit over seven hours down there. Um, this week, when I get to Europe, I'm hopping off the plane. Uh, so I get on the plane this afternoon. I fly over and I get off the plane Friday morning in Holland and I drive straight out to Edward and Hans-Peter and Nicole's stable. And have a ride on Lord of Loxley, and then leave on the the Tuesday and drive down to Pompadour, which last time I looked was about twelve hundred kilometres. So, um, yeah, distance for us is big too. But you know, a lot of the European guys do a lot of distance. I was talking to Gareth Hughes; he's off to Fritzens this weekend. Um, so, yeah, we're not the only ones doing the big distances at this at
1: the moment <laughs> yeah, you know, and of course around europe yes you can soon cover some ground in europe can't you well we're going to talk about yeah. your program uh, coming up for the next few weeks as you said you've got to show almost immediately as you uh hit the ground you're going to hit the ground running uh, so we'll talk about that and what else you're going to be doing in europe while you're there apart from enjoying the cuisine as no doubt you will and fine wine yeah. first of all let me just remind everybody about equestrian collections one of our valued sponsors here because you can earn points for you and your riding the riding organization of your choice by joining the equestrian collections rewards program that uh, support rewards its valued customers and supports the equestrian community. For every dollar you spend at Equestrian Collections, you will earn one point, and each time you accumulate 500 points, you'll receive a $25 reward certificate, which is, of course, redeemable at Equestrian Collections. And you can also collect rewards for your horse by celebrating his birthday with a $10 reward certificate that will be emailed to you during the month of your horse's birthday and that of course redeemable at equestriancollections.com and you can find out all your dressage brands all your favorite dressage brands are like romph international carrots fits and good rider they're all at equestriancollections.com which has everything dressage for both you and your horse check them out equestriancollections.com and uh, we'd like to thank them too for being a participating retailer of the horse world gives back campaign Well, my co-host this week, Brett Parbury, is hot-footing it to the Northern Hemisphere momentarily, so I'm glad you could uh, spend a few minutes with us before you leave, Brett, because you've got a busy few weeks. Tell us uh, all that's going to be happening once you get to Europe, apart from your first French show, of course. Now, when was the last time you sat on Lord of Loxley?
0: Um, I sat on Lord of Loxley in March, just before I came back um, through Japan, actually, through the earthquake. So... Um, it was March. I, the, the plan is going to be, I mean, because I'm coming from Australia to Europe, I want to try and fit as many shows in as possible. So I, um, I'm going to arrive in Holland on Friday, have a quick ride Friday, uh, mid morning, uh, with Edward and then Saturday, ride again, Sunday again, Monday again, and then, um hopefully get a good feel for him I mean it, the, the one good thing with Edward Gull's horses is they're rideable by anybody so I have no no doubt that I can get on and, and ride the horse and I'm only taking him small tour too so the pressure's not so great um, so then I'll head off on Tuesday down to Pompadour and uh, Nicole Werner has kindly found a truck for me to rent so I'll jump in this truck and head down to Pompadour in France. It'll be my first French show actually and I must say that the organising committee in Pompadour have been fantastic. They've just done whatever they can to help me um, you know, as far as stabling and I'll have a groom and um, they've found me accommodation and, and they've been just great for us. So we'll go down to Pompadour, do the show down there, see how it goes. I mean it's been a while since Lord of Loxley's been to a show. Would, it took him to Zwoller and did a masterclass on him and he also took him to the global forum and, and did the, th- the um, exhibition there but it's been a while since he's been to a show so I mean we're really using this as a learning experience to see what he's like the reason for going to France is, is um, one it's one of the only CDIs on for me at that time uh, two I wanted a smaller CDI that I didn't have to deal with big crowds and, and big atmosphere and then three uh, being an Australian rider I have to Apart from getting a national license, I have to compete in CDIs. So um, if I wanted to get a national license and compete in Dutch small shows, I could do that. Um, but from the calendar, I didn't think there was any shows on. So, yeah, down to Pompadour, do that show, see how we go. If it all goes well and and he feels rideable in the competition arena and everything goes nicely, I, I have the option to go back and go to Arken. The organisers at Arken said that I could come to Arken if if I um, can prove that the horse is up to standard at Pompadour. Um, if things don't go as well as planned or if I get a, a doubt in my mind about Arken, I'll then go to Verzon the week after in Pompadour, so I'll stay an extra week in France and then come back. And then Regardless of whether I compete in Aachen or not, I have a coaching role there with the Australian eventing team. So I'll be there coaching the Australian eventers. And then uh, I think it's back to then Haas Camp in Holland with Edward and Nicole and Hans-Peter for 10 days. And then we head over to Hickstead. And we do Hickstead the, at the end of July. Uh, and again, another great organising committee. They've just been fantastic in accommodating us, and um, then back home. So then I'll fly home on the 2nd of August, so hopefully with a bit more knowledge of what Lord of is like in the competitions.
1: Well, that sounds a really fun trip, or a whirlwind trip, but what a lot of fun. Now, you'll just have him to ride, so will you have? Will you ride other horses while you're there? Will you get the opportunity to sit on anything else, Brett?
0: Oh, look, there's always the chance to sit on horses at Edward and Hans Peters. I mean, they... They, um, Hans Peter, you know, I often give him a hand to um, to ride some of his horses because he has quite a few and the whole thing. But, um, I mean, there's only really 10 days I'm going to be back in Holland. Uh, the rest of the time, if, if things go well, I'll be down in uh, at the show. So I'll only be in Holland for probably, I don't know, you know, three or four days at a time. In amongst those big shows, up until the end of Arken, and then during that ten days that I'm in Holland, I'll probably give Hans Peter a hand and and um, ride whatever he, he throws at me.
1: And no doubt you'll enjoy some European cuisine from the Netherlands to uh, to France, of course, and then to England—a bit of everything: fish and chips, uh, all, all, all the way to to mussels and pomfrets. And
0: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I love my food too, so I'll definitely give it a, give them all a try.
1: You'll enjoy that, and we know how Hans Peter and Edward uh, love their sushi too, so I'm sure there'll be some of that involved.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Now, do you have any talking about sushi? Do you have any plans to go back to Japan anytime soon,
0: Brett? Later this not year? anytime soon. No, um, the thing that I do in Japan is usually only a um, an annual thing, so. There's been no talk of me going. Um, I really enjoyed my trip there last time. So, if they wish me to go again uh, next year, I'll more than be happy to do it.
1: Terrific. Well, you have to tell us about that if you do go. Um, you we know, we we'll, love to include all these other countries, of course, that are, uh, you know, trying to develop the sport in their country. So, if you have any anything, anyone from. Uh, Japan, if you're listening and would like to come on the Dressage Radio show and tell us about how you're growing the sport back home, we would love to hear from you. Well, Brett, we're just about coming to the end of the show this week, but uh, not before we uh, get to our new segment here on the show Words of Wisdom. The Backward Movement. Being behind the curb or having the movement backward is one and the same thing and ought never, not for the fraction of a second, to be allowed in a horse, whether he be in any motion, inclusive of backing, or even when he is merely standing still. We have already seen how the horse manifests the movement backward at the stand. Once the rider has experienced it at the stand, he will, with the development of a slightly keener analytical feeling, recognise its presence at the walk but especially at the trot and canter. At the gallop, there is less tendency for a horse to get behind the hand and consequently to have the movement backward. Yet it occurs. In order to tentatively essay giving the reader an idea of how the horse manifests the movement backward while in motion, in other words, how he fails to go up to the curb, and in order to try to make a novice rider at first guess probably more than understand what it feels like, a little experiment must be suggested. The learner, being then on foot and walking erect, will first stiffen the upper part of the back and the top of the shoulders. He will thereby feel that, although he will be moving, he is actually opposing his own motion, just as if he were resisting somebody else's push from behind. When doing this, he will have, just like the horse, the movement backward, although he will be walking or even running forward. When done by the horse, this is technically termed not going up to the curb or having the movement backward. Contrarily, if the learner, while walking, will, without in any way diminishing the erectness of the torso, lighten the top of the back and of the shoulders, he will increase this movement forward and yet not be increasing speed, perhaps not even moving from a given spot. When a horse does this, he is said to go up to his curb, or to have the forward movement. So when the rider feels his mount's shoulders stiffening a little between the withers or, let us say, from the middle of the neck to under the pommel of the saddle, he will know that the animal lacks movement forward. In other words, that he is not going up to the curb. This extract is taken from Principles of Equitation by Barreto de Souza and published in New York by E. P. Dutton and Company Inc. in 1922. And I also want to remind you about our uh, young reporters out there. If you're under 20 years of age and would like to come on the show and tell us about your show in your area, and it can be anywhere in the world. Uh, just email me Chris at horseradionetwork dot com. So Brett, in in just a few minutes you'll be on your way to the airport. That's the story, and that's why we're recording this a little bit earlier this week. And this will be, of course, uh, for next week's show as we as we speak. Uh, I had to get you before you got on the plane because uh, otherwise you wouldn't have had time once you get to Europe. But we're literally hitting hit the ground running, aren't you?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a, it feels like a, I keep saying it, it feels like I'm on that um, television show, The Amazing Race flying through airports and packing bags and throwing them into cars and madly trying to navigate through countries. So, yeah, it's, it's all good.
1: It's all good. Well, the very best of luck. I hope you have a great trip. I hope the airlines are kind to you and safe, safe travels, of course, and enjoy the food. Think about us when you're knocking back your champagne and uh, enjoying the French cuisine.
0: Oh, thank you. I will do.
1: <laughs> and come back on the show in a few weeks and tell us how it all went after after you get back to Australia.
0: Yeah, we will do, Chris. Thank you very All right, much.
1: Wonderful. Well, I want to remind everybody here, you can follow our show notes, of course, at dressageradio.com, and there's also a link to horseworldgivesback.com where you can participate in that campaign to raise money for those less fortunate that have been subjected to, of course, extreme conditions in the U.S. over the past few months. Uh, that campaign is ongoing here at the horse radio network and all the links to everything that we talk about here on the show are on our website and you can also join our conversation over on facebook and follow us on twitter chrissy e. stafford and horse radio don't forget my email chris at horseradionetwork.com if you have any comments questions or suggestions and i will be back here of course at the same time same place next week so until then thank you all for listening